This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is a crowd podcast. Estonia has been in, in public opinion for a lot of time and I wouldn't expect it to change for <laughs> decades to come to be honest. We are still discussing Titanic and there are theories about Titanic uh, if you can imagine. This is Dr. Andrei Yashinovsky. He's a world expert forensic naval architect. He's been involved with the Estonia for many years and is working on a current inquiry into the disaster. In this episode, we're going to delve into the high-stakes world of shipwreck investigations. This is the secret history of the Estonia with me, Stephen Davis. Okay, so marine forensic architect. For those people who wouldn't be familiar with such a job, it, it sounds fascinating. Tell me in the simplest way you can what that means. So I am naval architect by training. Uh, naval architecture is an art and science of shipbuilding, ship design, ship operation, which comprises many fundamental fields such as mathematics, physics, engineering, material science, statistics, uh, philosophy. And uh, we try to converge all those different fields into a specific application for shipping. So if you essentially, if you know how to build a ship, you know how it works, you know how all the parts fit together, you have a, a, a good chance of working out what went wrong if, a, if it sinks. I think it's difficult uh, to, to just answer yes or no. It, um, uh, notwithstanding your knowledge of shipbuilding, ship design and ship operation, unless the evidence available on, on that accident allows you to come to a conclusion, it is not sufficient <laughs> to, 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 to say what happened. Simply because just knowing how to build and how to operate and how to design does not tell you what may happen in a three-dimensional space. So we need uh, some systematic way to uh, connect all the evidence that we have, say the, the wreckage, the weather, uh, uh, witness statements and so on, to, to try to figure out in reverse engineering to um, a chain that would explain where the ship, uh, where the ship is. So tell me, where were you and what were you doing when you heard the Estonia had sunk? In 1994, I was a student, third year 
student at the Technical University of Dansk in Poland, so very close to Baltic Sea, and uh, I've heard the news uh, in the morning just before I went to my lectures back then. And um, I have been involved in that case in one way or another ever since. So you were at university, you, you were always intending to do this sort of job, marine investigations. No, no. I was a student of naval architecture. I did not anticipate at the time, uh, I was roughly halfway through the university, what I would be doing. It took me up a path, this path, which was another uh, ferry that capsized in the channel. Uh, it was, I think, a Herald of Enterprise. So I worked for uh, UK. Uh, Maritime Coast Guard Agency back then, and I studied how ferries sink. The Herald of Free Enterprise was another roll-on, roll-off ferry, the same type as the Estonia. It capsized in 1987, killing 193 passengers and crew. It left the harbour with the bow doors wide open, and within minutes it was on its side. The ship was salvaged, along with the bodies. It was a huge story at the time. By mid-afternoon, the Herald of Free Enterprise had been successfully hauled out of the 12-foot seabed trench into which she'd settled, and in perfect calm, bright weather, the refloating operation could begin. So you were involved in the uh, investigation into the Herald of Free Enterprise. Uh, I, I covered that story, actually, for the Sunday Times in London. A, a, a terrible tragedy, but... Um, I guess as an investigation, um, much more straightforward than the Estonia in terms of its causes. I think that um, I can uh, say in all honesty, there is no such thing as simple in any accident. <laughs> there is so many contentious uh, elements, issues and unknowns that there is, there is simply no way to, to categorize any investigation as simple. Uh, so perhaps the controversy of Estonia comes from the emotive uh, reaction, societal reaction. is the biggest peacetime catastrophe in Western Europe since uh, the Titanic. But technically, it is as challenging as any other investigation, which is very challenging, uh, if I may say so, from, from my perspective, uh, doing this day to day. As a, as a full-time job. There are so many aspects to investigate and, and explore that it takes time, effort and, and a lot of sweat to, to come to um, a simple sentence that then will look simple and answer what happened, hopefully convincingly and acceptably to both the profession and, and, and public. You make an interesting point there. I guess the public and, and we would be to blame as well in the media. We always want one simple explanation for a catastrophe or disaster one like you said one sentence one headline one thing we can point to but in your experience these things often have uh, more than one cause or a set of complicated things happening which add together to cause a disaster yes indeed it is natural for us to want to hear an answer in three seconds and then move on it is very unfortunate uh, from from my viewpoint, but unfortunately that's where the society is. In reality, to get to a, a conclusive answer takes an awful lot of effort. And I, one of the things you told me uh, previously, the first time you looked at Estonia, one of your issues is you, you simply didn't have enough information 
uh, to reach any full conclusions? We, we've never uh, had all the information. For example, we have the shipwreckage, and the shipwreckage is still underwater. When we have precedents, uh, it's a state-of-the-art industry uh, that would, uh, would allow us to retrieve the vessel and examine it in minute detail on shore. So we don't have uh, all the information that is within grasp. We rely on ROVs and uh, so remote operated vehicles, uh, video footage, divers footage, and of course statements from, from witnesses. And so I think that even if we retrieved the vessel, there would still be question. But I can say that we haven't recovered all the evidence that it would have been possible to do. Basically, there is no will to retrieve all, all the evidence. So we have to act within uh, the perimeter of the evidence that we do have, such as the recent measurements with uh, new state-of-the-art um, photogrammetric technologies and, and ROVs. But that also is not conclusive to the point where, where it could not be challenged. Just to be clear, as you said before, to have a thorough survey of the Estonia required bringing it up and putting it on land and examining it on land. And you're saying that that was um, an operation that could have been done, the technology existed, it was possible to do? Yes, it is possible to recover entire wreckage. It has been done uh, in the past on other ferry disasters. So there is the proof, there is, you know, it's not a speculation. There is no question about that whatsoever. And looking at it on land would have uh, markedly increased the strength, the level of the evidence that you had to, to find out why it sunk. Yes, absolutely. Bringing the ship uh, on shore uh, allows to examine it by surveying, uh, you know, every square meter all the wreckage can be examined every every piece can be looked at and it can be done collectively by a multitude of different experts and expertise investigators so it's i think um, uh, that that's where the state of the art in in terms of evidence collection would be that state of the art has not been applied to estonia as of yet this is something that's been mentioned in previous episodes But to hear an expert naval architect say it, that it's totally possible to raise the wreck, really brings it home. And to then explain that this is the state of the art for the industry, but for some reason it hasn't been applied to the Estonia, just adds to the mystery as to why it hasn't been done. Just as a small diversion here, I want to talk about the dive footage that was taken in the months after the sinking. The Swedish government hired their own diving team from Rockwater, a British-based division of an American company. Interestingly, its parent company was run between 1995 and 2000 by Dick Cheney, later US Vice President. There were even rumours of CIA connections. Anyway, this diving team produced 13 videotapes showing the wreck, they said, from every angle. But it seemed that one angle was missing, and some Swedish politicians later argued the videos had been edited. This is another example of the challenges that investigators have had to work with over the years. Let's return to Dr. Yashinovsky. He's been involved in multiple investigations. 
I asked him to tell me about the first one. Oh, I think it was about 97, 98, so many years ago. And that involved review of what uh, had been done by then. There was the official JAIC report issued by then, and uh, which stirred a lot of uh, discussion and, and public conferences. So I started early on to attend those conferences. And um, at that time, it was in view to develop knowledge on how to design uh, such ships and how to develop uh, regulations. Um, and as we did that, we we did have we did have questions on what happened, and um, we were not satisfied with what was said publicly, what was discussed, and um, what the evidence was already back then. And then you were later on hired to help with a reinvestigation? Yes, we did engage in a project with the Swedish Innovation Agency. So it was a two-year project between 2006 and 2008. It had a fairly narrowly defined scope of um, what was to be investigated uh, and, and we complied with that, conducted the research and concluded... What was the um, scope? The scope was to focus on the mechanisms of the sinking that were most likely uh, prevalent uh, over that accident and to explain it in a, in a way that could be understood by, by others. Um, I think our criticism beforehand was that the investigation uh, that was officially conducted was not conclusive enough and, and we simply tried to fit that gap. There were also various propositions on how the accident could have uh, developed uh, from the sinking point of view and so there were different hypotheses to test such as say a collision with some object on the surface perhaps there were uh, hypotheses of some explosions uh, that were that were put forward back then so we tried to investigate all such initiating events and try to examine mechanisms that would have led to a chain that was observed by the witnesses and of course that would have led the ship to sink to the position and in a way that we see it uh, today. Did you feel that you had enough information at that stage, enough evidence had been gathered to um, to do a complete investigation? We, I think, had um, succeeded to make a step further forward from where it was before we began. We had concluded the investigation with a proposition that um, there still are questions outstanding. And so we proposed that the ship be raised or at least inspected. Um, we proposed that the ramp be lifted up. We have made a step forward, but we have concluded that there still are questions that should be answered by the evidence that was, uh, in our view back then, within grasp and that is raising the ship. And at one stage you were um, about to present your findings to a conference and you had an interesting visit beforehand uh, from two people from the Swedish government. Tell me about that. Uh, to, to start with, uh, Stephen, uh, just going back to the, to the beginning, we ha I think we've had two or three international open workshops where any party could have participated and discussed and contributed to that. So it was completely open 
uh, investigation from our side. We were open to any input from any party of, of any kind. Uh, and at the end of it, there was a notable uh, interest by numerous parties, uh, one of which was a meeting with the uh, Department of Psychological Defence. The government department he mentions there is the Psychological Defence Agency. Their mission statement is safeguarding Sweden's, and I'm quoting here, open and democratic society and the free formation of opinion through identifying, analysing and countering foreign malign information influence, disinformation and other misleading information. A bit of a mouthful, and I'm not sure that definition clarifies much. Anyway, let's return to Dr. Yashinovsky, describing his meeting with this mysterious government agency. So we made our proposition, explained why we think there needs to be more investigation of the wreckage. We, of course, explained what the investigation itself was, how we arrived at conclusions. So we had conveyed that to that meeting uh, with uh, the Department of Psychological Defense in, in Stockholm. Nothing was done. Uh, after our recommendation. Absolutely nothing. So my obvious take is that they have dismissed everything we said. Wasn't it weird to be talking to a Department of Psychological Defence? Sounds Orwellian. <laughs> I, um, I cannot comment on the motivations uh, for the meeting. We have met with anyone, anybody, any party that was willing to, to discuss, uh, truly internationally. So all the experts from the world would come and would discuss this. Um, in hindsight, now when you put it like this, um, uh, and of course the, the, the name itself, uh, uh, you know, you, you wonder, you wonder, um, you know, what could have been the motivation. I cannot, uh, you know, tell. Uh, other than say that it's part of the government and um, uh, in one way or another uh, they were interested and and so we shared whatever we could share you know openly honestly and um, hopefully uh, it added value to uh, whatever their objectives were the psychological defense agency is another secret of swedish department that people are reluctant to talk about it was started during the cold war and it ran exercises stress-testing the reactions of military personnel and civil servants to major incidents. It ran disinformation operations against the Soviet Union. It was a small department which employed a number of scientists, and its original motto was, the will to defend Sweden is strong. What were they doing inserting themselves into the investigation of a major civilian transport disaster we can only speculate, but it is part of a consistent pattern linking secret parts of the Swedish government to the Estonia investigations. And as we have seen, there's been no shortage of investigations into the fate of the Estonia. Remember the Greg Bemis inquiry? The metal pieces cut from the sunken ferry by his diving team were analysed by two teams of experts. One working for the ferry builders, Meyer, and one independent group in the US. Both found evidence of an explosion. You might think a revelation like that would lead to a new official inquiry, but no. The Swedish government simply countered with its own metal analysis, disputing the explosive findings. The battle between those supporting the conclusions of the official report 
and those challenging it has gone on. After the break, we'll hear from one of the challengers, a man who's dedicated many years to investigating the Estonia. He's the former chief prosecutor of Estonia, the country. He was asked to review the official report, and since then, he's found many, many gaps in the account. We'll hear from Margus Kerm after this. Do you want more crowd podcasts? Let me tell you about the Crowd Stories channel. It's where you can find all of Crowd's documentaries. In one place. And for just £1 a week, they're ad-free. Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante. I'm a monster hunter. It's what I do. And Murder in House 2. I know you know what happened. You want to keep it to yourself? You suit yourself. You're going down. You can binge our groundbreaking audio fiction series, Eliza, a robot story. I have 302 minutes, 34 seconds, and two milliseconds to tell this story. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star. Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts. And hit the subscribe button. See you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the secret history of the Estonia. So, as I mentioned, Margus Kerm is the former state prosecutor for Estonia, the country. In 2005, he was appointed the chairman of an Estonian commission to investigate the case. Our first task was to uh, investigate the probable smuggling of military equipment on board. When I started this uh, investigation, and first went to Sweden, they were very uh, supportive. And they said that uh, you can meet whoever you want, you can get documents and so on. But uh, the more deeper I went with my questions and with my requests, the more arrogant they were in answering. And basically, in the end, they said that uh, no, you won't get this information. You won't meet those people. Basically, they said that you you may write whatever you want into your report. We will accept anything, but we will not give you certain information. And uh, actually, this meant that uh, our investigation really led to, to nowhere. We only stated that the Estonian authorities were not uh, involved. So what kind of things did you want to get from the Swedes that they wouldn't give you? I mean, uh, talk to intelligence officers, presumably? Uh, yes, uh, that was uh, one, uh, one of my requests, which was rejected. I wanted to meet and question this uh, intelligent officer who was in charge of this uh, operation. That was one example, and I and I asked also all the documents related to this operation or uh, or similar operations, and uh, I did not get any. 
Did they bother to give you an excuse or did they just say no? Regarding documents, I remember they said that they don't have any. And uh, I remember that uh, they also had an investigation in Sweden and I remember the judge who was in charge of this investigation, he said to me that he uh, destroyed all the documents, which sounded very, very strange. When I was investigating this, what really struck me was, and I've been investigative journalist for a long time, if a judge in the UK or the US or Australia or New Zealand or lots of other places I've worked did an investigation in such an important story and and then turned around and said he destroyed the documents, there would be a national outcry. There would be demands for a new inquiry, yet nothing seemed to have happened in Sweden. That's true. It, uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was difficult to believe and I I remember my first uh, thought was that uh, that's not true. They simply don't want to share the documents with me. And actually I don't know which is the truth. It's it's, it's very uh, unusual to hide so important documents. So after that, did you sort of move on to your life or other things? Was there something in the back of your mind that thought, I would still like to get to the bottom of this one day? Actually, this uh, investigation of our uh, commission went on, uh, meaning uh, that um, we were given a new task uh, by the government. And the new task was to... uh, a study if there are any unanswered questions or are there any aspects which uh, had not been investigated properly by this uh, joint accident investigation uh, commission, I mean the official commission. And then uh, we started to review all the material collected by this uh, official commission and um, Of course, we found uh, several problems regarding the official investigation that uh, the government uh, prolonged our mandate once more. And uh, our last task was to follow and give an overview about those uh, scientific investigations which were going on at the same time in Sweden. Margus Kurm prepared an overview of these studies for the Estonian government. He continued this work for four years. In the course of this uh, work, I I went through basically everything which I was able to to find. And I met uh, many people, survivors and scientists and, and, and so on. And at the end of the four years, you thought there's something wrong with the official explanation. Yes, I understood that the official uh, explanation is not correct, or at least it's it's not uh, really supported by the evidence. And there there is, uh, let's say, many important technical aspects which uh, had never been uh, investigated. After the, those uh, four years, that was my... Uh, understanding that we don't actually know why the ship sunk at that night. One of the things that struck me about looking at the original official investigation was that they didn't bother to 
to talk to many of the survivors to get their stories about what happened during the sinking. That would have seemed to me to be an important part of an investigation. I've talked to lots of survivors who were never talked to by the investigators. Yeah, actually, that's not uh, completely correct. There are, uh, I think, uh, about five survivors who have never been uh, interviewed by the authorities. But, uh, but most uh, were interviewed, but not by this commission of investigators, but right after the disaster by the police. They have shared their uh, first memories and first uh, impressions. And, and the problem is that the information is uh, incomplete and very eclectic. People told what they wanted to tell. And of course, people are different. And some talked uh, a lot, <laughs> but some uh, talked very, very little. And of course, there were some questions uh, asked by the police officers, uh, but what is, uh, what is lacking is a real structural interview of, of every single uh, survivor. So to put it shortly, what we know about uh, the survivors' experiences is, uh, is a very eclectic bunch of uh, information. And if you, you, if you want to really to make uh, analysis, for example, uh, what was the pattern uh, of the uh, experiences, uh, you can't really make it up because it's uh, one person have thought about one thing and the other is uh, thought about this another thing and it's, uh, it's uh, impossible to do a very structural analysis. And, and of course, uh, as regards uh, the, the interviews made by the Estonian police, at that time, it was common that those, uh, let's say, the minutes of those interviews, uh, there were very short handwritten uh, minutes. And many of them was done in, in airports. And of course, if you make handwritten minutes, you cannot be very, let's say, complete. You can make only, only notes. And, but this is all we have. So after this... You ended up this inquiry, this four, four years, with obviously with doubts, and the real explanation for the sinking uh, hadn't come out. How did you get involved again later? What what got you back into it? Uh, I dare to say that I have been in since two thousand and five. I have never finished this case, and I have always been following. And I, I have been in contact with, uh, with relatives. It was 2015 when we um, discussed the idea with the relatives in, in Sweden to start a um, court case against uh, the Estonian uh, government uh, to demand a new investigation. You must be, I mean, there must be people in the Estonian government who regard you as a bit of a, what I'd say in, in English is a bit of a pain. I mean, this is something that they wanted over with a long time ago. And here you are, a, a former state prosecutor, just keeping going, that you must be irritating some people. Probably, yes. Probably I have, have been a trouble for, for, for them. But you want the truth to come out. Yes, the truth come out and uh, at, yes, whatever the truth is, it, it should be uh, backed by the evidence. 
As long as we have uh, important questions uh, unanswered, the case uh, is not closed. Next time, on the secret history of the Estonia. We went down to the wreck and it was wonderful visibility uh, down there. And um, we started out to investigate uh, the starboard side uh, quite immediately because we thought perhaps this is the only chance we have. This put immense pressure on the Swedish government and almost the same day uh, the heads of state of the involved countries were out commenting on the matter, which they had not done for almost decades. The Secret History of the Estonia is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Stephen Davis, and produced by Samantha Syke. Mixing and sound design is by Rory Auskari. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. To listen to the entire series ad-free, and for exclusive bonus episodes, subscribe to the Crowd Stories channel on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. If you're looking for something new, try .com, the hacking. It's all about Russian ransomware attacks, cyber criminals, and the ethical hackers trying to stop them. Just search for .com wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.